Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All, so, all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Joanne. You may be seated. Grace and peace to all of you this morning. All right, pray it with me. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. How many of you have prayed that prayer before? Is my family's dinner prayer growing up too. And how many of you, after praying it, have thought that Jesus was somehow present with you at the table as a guest? Some, some hands, good, yeah. And how many of you, after praying it, gave away half your possessions to the poor? <laughs> no? So what happens here in this Bible story? Why is the mere presence of Jesus as a guest at the house of Zacchaeus enough to make this radical change in Zacchaeus's life? One of the core duties of my job and Pastor Beth's job is to visit people who are sick or who are homebound. And this would be true if I were a pastor across town or in another denomination or in another country or at any point in Christian history. And all of you, when you give money to the church, you are funding these visits. So think about this for a moment. Why is it that our faith makes such a priority of visiting people who are sick and homebound. Does anyone want to guess or have an answer to this? Sorry? Why do they need us? They, they can't come to us, so we go to them, right? There is a value in 
them not being alone. That's exactly right. Here's the deal. When God created humankind, God did not stop at just one person. God made us a whole species, right? And God did this because we are meant to share life together. God made life so that it is truer and deeper and richer when we share in community. We are not meant to be alone. God made us to be in community. And so when someone is separate, when someone is too ill that they're isolated, we say as a faith, this is not what God made you for. You deserve the company of someone to be with you. And in that presence, that person will know that God's love is bigger than the forces of illness that separate them and isolate them. So I've got to tell you, though, when I make these visits, something just flattens my heart. In too many hospitals and rehab centers and nursing homes and senior living facilities, while I wander searching for one of Mount Olivet's own, I pass hallway after hallway filled with open doors, and the scene is the same in every room. One person, alone, purposeless, disconnected, just kind of waiting, existing, nothing to keep them company except the TV. And usually that's blasting out some cable news show where people just yell at each other and prey on the worst fears and instincts of the audience. We don't talk a lot about hell in this church, but to me, that's getting pretty close to what it might look like. Walls between us, no connection, no purpose, no ongoing story, the monotony of rage as the soundtrack. Surely that is not what God created us for. And yet, it's the world that so many of us inhabit. Loneliness, they say, is an epidemic in America. Over half of us in this country say that there is always or sometimes a period in our lives when we don't even have one person who knows us well. Close to one in four of us feels lonely the majority of the time. And this cuts across generations. My own millennial cohort, we are just as likely to experience loneliness and isolation as elderly folks. In fact, close to half of millennials fear loneliness more than a diagnosis of cancer. And as stark as that sounds, the fear is actually rooted in really good medical studies 
which tell us that the lack of a strong support network is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being chronically obese. Loneliness raises our risk of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, anxiety, addiction, and yes, cancer too. So when I say that God made us to be in community, I'm not talking about some floofy poetic thing. I'm talking about a biological reality. We need each other. We talked about this at Manna and Mercy, the adult ed class that Pastor Beth and, lead, uh, and I are leading right now the other week. And it was interesting because we said when any of us are asked what we value most in our lives, of course we're going to answer family, friends, relationships, time together, and our health. And yet, individually, when we looked at our lives, many of us named that a lot of our time was offered up elsewhere in pursuit of other priorities, or that there are forces larger than ourselves, cultural and economic ones, that keep us from forming life-giving connection with each other. I'm not going to ask you to share this out loud, but I am going to give you a time of silence here to take a moment and consider your own life. What is it that's showing up in your own life that's the greatest obstacle to meaningful connection to others? Zacchaeus was lonely too. This is a story about loneliness and community. Look at how it begins. There Zacchaeus is in a crowd of people and he is invisible. Don't you think it's significant that the crowd doesn't part to let him through because he's short? No one's noticing him. He is alone. But the story ends in a different place, doesn't it? It ends with Jesus proclaiming salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. And with Zacchaeus reaching out to mend all the relationships that have been broken in his life, paying back the people that he defrauded. So what does it take to restore Zacchaeus to community? It starts with Jesus looking at him. To Jesus, Zacchaeus isn't invisible. Jesus sees this man, and then rather than pass him by, Jesus becomes curious about who he is. And Jesus makes a decision. He decides he's going to care more about this man than his plans he had made that day. Jesus interrupts a parade thrown in his honor so that he can spend time with this guy in the sycamore tree. Zacchae or Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name, and he seeks to know him in his uniqueness. 
he does not try to make Zacchaeus into something he's not or give his unsolicited opinions about tax collectors, but instead, with genuine empathy, Jesus becomes a guest. He enters into Zacchaeus' home and lets Zacchaeus show him hospitality. He gives Zacchaeus the gift of getting to welcome someone into his home and witness his life. And then presumably the two of them share a meal. There's something incredibly humanizing about eating with someone, isn't there? When you eat with someone, it's an admission of this equalizing truth that neither of you is in fact able to survive on your own. You both need food to sustain you, and so maybe you're not so different after all. And it's more than a recognition of similarities. Sharing a meal with someone is wishing them well. When you give a person food that will keep them alive, what you're doing is saying, please keep living. I want your survival. It's better with you here. And even if it's a working lunch, there's a certain letting out of your breath that happens when we eat together, isn't there? A pause in scheduled programming, a relaxing of the pressures that hold our days captive, a glimpse of this notion that life is more than a series of tasks. Life is a gift, and one that is best enjoyed with others. And so when Jesus shares a meal with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus doesn't just taste food, he tastes life. Life like God intended, life that is shared, life in community. And Zacchaeus can't get the taste out of his mouth. Eating together has changed him, and now his whole being is set on resisting the forces that have kept him isolated for so long. And so right then and there, he gives up his wealth, which has functioned to keep him at arm's length from other people, and he actively goes about restoring relationships where his greediness caused estrangement. I talked earlier about what hell might look like, but to me, this is a picture of heaven. Sharing a table with Jesus, being known, being valued, being seen as someone with dignity and gifts to share. Heaven looks like Zacchaeus tasting his own humanity and then inviting others into this great love by mending relationships. No wonder Jesus calls it salvation. This is why Jesus came to earth after all. He is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that means everything in his life is a sign that God's love for us is bigger than the things that separate us from one another and from God.
bigger than our busyness and our thirst for achievement, bigger than our broken relationships, bigger than isolation, bigger than disease, bigger even than death. The Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost, says Jesus. And then he sits down to dinner with someone who genuinely needs company. What if that's how we saw what we do at church? What if we saw ourselves as people who together resist forces of isolation in our midst? To let our gathering together here in community be stronger and more enticing than the frantic pace of life that grinds away our time for relationships and the cultural siloing that happens without us really trying. What if we said that we are a church for the lost and the lonely and saw our purpose here as sharing meals where we taste life and humanity together? And outside these walls, in each of your daily living, what if each of you, like Jesus, noticed someone who might be invisible in the crowd, became curious enough about them to interrupt your plans, and with empathy, receive their hospitality and their story as a gift? Who might it be that you need to connect with over a meal? If you look around this room, can you imagine if each of us did that? If each of us built a bridge where there was only loneliness, this church would be so different. The city of Plymouth would be so different. You actually get to respond to this question because each week this fall, we are ending our sermons by trusting you to finish them in your own lives. And so I close this sermon with a question, and today the question is simply, who are you called to share a table with? Ponder that for the rest of the service, and then after, take a moment, stop by that apron on the table in the Welcome Center, and share your thoughts. That apron will be worn by a volunteer, at our community meal that we're starting later this year. And it is our deep prayer that this community meal will indeed be a place where isolation and loneliness will be overcome by God's big and unifying love as people sit down and share food, but also their life and humanity. Amen.